I just want to say, too, I want to follow up, follow up on what Stan's saying. We give a small donation annually uh, to Shepherd's Bible College, but, you know, we're not the biggest church in the world. It's not a, a big donation. So if God puts it on your heart um, uh, to give to Shepherd's Bible College, please talk to Stan after the, uh, the uh, service is over. And uh, he'll stick around for a little bit, and you can check out the table and, and all. But it's, it is the only, that I know of, the only full-fledged uh, uh, Bible college in Kitsap County where it's needed probably more than any other county in the country. And uh, so we really want to support the work they're doing and uh, really encourage you. I've enjoyed my, my teaching there. And... Uh, but if you feel led to give, then, then, then feel free to give. Another thing is, a lot of you are not in the church directory. Yeah. Okay? And, um, um, yeah, yeah we, we don't know if we're going to move June 27th or July 11th. Those, those are the two possible dates. So we want to make sure that... Uh, we get everybody on board and give them the address and things of that sort. So, uh, so what's that? It looks like the fourth's not going to work. It's, it's, it, there's a whole whole other issues in, involved there. But um, but whatever the case, uh, so keep that in prayer. But make sure we get your contact information so we can let everybody know so you don't show up here and then you're all upset with us and also and. Um, and I want to thank those who, who um, helped out uh, uh, PJ. We, there was like last-minute notice to, to find a place for the uh, memorial for the, her little grand grandson. And, uh, and I, I, I will be totally honest with you, there was nothing more frustrated. You know, Stan talked about, you know, pastors being shepherds and um, nothing more frustrated than having your whole calendar filled up with different things you're supposed to be doing. You can't be in two places at the same time. And so um, my wife helped out. Dwayne and Maggie helped out. Willis helped out. Yeah. What's that? Oh, good deal. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, PJ. We, we love you. And I'll tell you, nothing more frustrating and when somebody in your congregation comes for help, and you can't help them, and so I, I and that we're going to see the message today is the pastor's job to equip the saints for service, and uh, but people like Willis, he's one phone call away. He, uh, it's like, how can this guy get the job of ten people done? Well, because he calls ten people, and uh, and he's got those leadership characteristics that that sometimes uh, I lack. So. Whatever the case, um, um, I really am really grateful for the people who came alongside to, to help out with that. And make sure you give PJ a hug before. If, she, if she's taking hugs, give her a hug. If she's doing the fist thing, do the fist thing. But, uh, but whatever the case, uh, it's, just a, it's just an honor to, be, to pastor a church that is a body, that is a, a family. Okay, let's go to the, the Lord in prayer. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, 7 to 16. We talked about our unity in Christ. Now we're going to talk about our diversity in Christ. So if you just bow, bow your heads. Father, in Jesus' precious name, the people that are here today, they came here to hear your word, your truth proclaimed. If they wanted fake news and falsehoods, they could just turn on the TV set and get that or go online and get that. But they want your truth, Lord. They're hungry for your truth. And so, uh, but you, you've called fallible men like myself to proclaim your infallible, totally perfect, inerrant word. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man, that you would anoint me with your spirit uh, so that I would proclaim your truth and that I would not lead anyone astray. And give everyone here, Lord, the, the courage to test everything they hear, not just from this pulpit, but everything they hear and see, wherever it is, to test all things with your word. For your word has been tested and proven to be true. 
I pray, Lord, you'd open hearts and minds to receive truth from your word and then empower us by your spirit to apply these truths to our lives. May we see the unity that we have in the body of Christ, but also the diversity in the different gifts that we have as well. And I pray that our church, the leadership of our church, would help equip the saints for service, which is what a church is supposed to do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So now Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, we talked about our unity in Christ. Okay, remember Paul was, was really hitting that hard where he said that we're, there's one body and one spirit, just as you are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord. We got one Lord. Okay? And it's not the guy in the White House, no matter what party he's in. That's not our Lord. Okay? We're going to be good citizens and obey the laws of the land. But our ultimate authority is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords. We got one Lord, we got one faith and one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Now, what I forgot to read last week was the Apostles' Creed. You know, that one faith, that, those, that one creed, that one group of doctrines, and teachings, and beliefs that define us as Christians, it was spelled out by the pupils of the Apostles leading the early church in what is called the Apostles' Creed, so I'm going to try to read for you uh, what is probably the earliest version of it. And th this should join us together. By the way, this is all based on the Holy Scriptures, so it goes without saying um, that the early church believed the Old Testament to be God's Word and the New Testament as written by the apostles and their colleagues to be God's Word. Okay, But the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, meaning universal church, the communion of saints and forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the flesh and life everlasting. Amen. So you get a chance. Go online and download uh, the Apostles' Creed. Sometimes they'll put down uh, the Apostles, they'll call it the Apostles' Creed, but they'll put uh, late 2nd century additions to it and early 3rd century additions to it. But this is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So Paul, last week we talked about Paul talking about our unity in Christ. We share beliefs. We serve the same Lord, the same Master. Okay? We serve the triune God. And uh, so we are united. But even though we are united, just like a human body, which has many parts so too does the body of Christ have diversity, different gifts. And now Paul's going to focus on the gifts given uh, to equip the church, especially at the start of the church. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 will talk about uh, the gifts, all the different gifts, all the different supernatural abilities given to believers by the Holy Spirit so that we can function as one body with these many different members and many different gifts to accomplish the kingdom work that God has given us. So verses 1 to 6, our unity in Christ, but now we're going to look at verses 7 through 16, our diversity in Christ. The differences that we have, different gifts to equip the church. And so Paul's going to talk a little bit about believers their walk regarding spiritual gifts in verses 7 through 16. Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay? 
So God has graciously given all believers gifts that we don't deserve. We, not only, we don't deserve salvation. We don't even deserve the gifts that God gives us. The supernatural abilities that God gives us to do the work that He's called us to do. We don't even, whatever mission you have from God, whatever ministry you have, you realize you don't even deserve that. It's not like God looked at your resume and said, hey, this guy deserves, he's earned this position. No, all we've ever earned is hell. Salvation's totally a grace. Serving God is totally of grace. The supernatural gifts that I've been given, that you've been given, are totally of grace. So, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, these gifts are given to the whole church. Um, but here, here he's focusing on kind of gifts given to the whole church rather than the gifts given to individual believers, okay? That's a little tricky in, in Paul's thought. It's a little tough to understand sometimes, but he's going to talk about giving gifted individuals to the church to equip the church to do its work. I really encourage you, read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Read Romans 12 um, to find out more about individual gifts, like the gift of service, the gift of giving, okay? Uh, the gift of the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, these other gifts, okay? And um, so, but right here, though, Paul's going to mention in verse 11 the gifts that God gives to the whole church, okay? Um, and th this gift is going to be a gift, gifts of gifted individuals to the church. And we'll, we'll see how Paul gets there. So look at verse 8. Verse 8, Paul quotes from Psalm 68, 18. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Okay? Now, Paul's quoting from Psalm 68, 18, so I want us to look at that. Psalm 68 and verse 18. We'll start at verse 17. Go verses 17 through 19. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai, in the holy place. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. Those who are captive, he led them captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. So God saves us, but he also gives us gifts. And the context of the gifts that are given here is different from the context of the gifts that Paul mentions in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, where those are gifts distributed to each individual Christian. This is like, uh, what was, was being pictured here is Christ ascending to heaven after his death and resurrection. As He's ascending to heaven as a triumphant warrior with prisoners in his train and distributing the spoils among the people. So it's like he's the conquering warrior... And he has gone into captivity. We were, we were captive to Satan, captives to Satan, captives to sin. He comes in, he busts in, he conquers, and then he takes captives, and then he distributes gifts to believers. Okay? So Christ is pictured as ascending to heaven as a triumphant warrior with prisoners in his train, distributing the spoils uh, among his people. After he died and rose, he had completed his work and ascended to heaven. And uh, Paul sees Jesus as fulfilling this because of the death, uh, burial, resurrection, appearances, and then ascension 
uh, into heaven. But Jesus literally led captivity captive. In other words, he conquered sin and death, and that which was that held us in bondage, thus rendering it powerless to all his followers. Now, if Christ did not ascend to the Father, the Holy Spirit would not have come to indwell and empower believers, and um, and then uh, who would be given gifts. The Holy Spirit would give gifts to the church. Look at uh, John chapter 16 and verse 7. John chapter 16 and verse 7. This is the night Jesus was betrayed. He's about to be crucified. Okay, Then he's going to rise from the dead on the third day. He's going to appear over a period of 40 days to his disciples. Then he's going to ascend to heaven. And so he tells them, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And so this Paul is really keying on this concept that Jesus, by ascending to heaven as the triumphant warrior, he's now going to give the church, he baptized the church on the Feast of Pentecost with the Holy Spirit and then gave gifts to the church. Now the gifts Paul is going to mention here are four offices held by uh, the early church, okay? Two of them no longer function. We benefit from their work, and two of them continue, okay? So it, it's kind of weird that in, in other contexts, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, the gifts are gifts given to all believers, as individuals, Paul is going to talk about four gifts. He takes captive the rebellious. He conquers our souls. He saves us. And then he takes some of us and transforms us and gives us as gifts to the church. So that they use their giftedness to help others, uh, to train them and equip them to be all that God called them to be. So, uh, but whatever the case, Jesus said, look, I, I've got to ascend to heaven as the triumphant warrior to then send the Holy Spirit who's going to baptize the church. He's going to give the church, give us as individuals gifts, but to the whole church, he gives these four gifts that he's going to mention in verse 11. Okay, now verses 9 and 10 of Ephesians 4. Verses 9 and 10. Therefore, uh, now this, he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Okay? <clears throat> so he, Paul's basically saying, look, God talked about this hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth in Psalm 68, 18. Now, how can God ascend to heaven unless he first came down from heaven to earth? So he's making it clear. This passage is talking about Jesus, okay? A prediction of Jesus' ascension even before he came to earth, okay? And um, so in case the readers don't fully understand the ascension of Christ, he explains so explains this so that there is no doubt. He explains why Christ ascended. Um, for God the Son to go back up to heaven indicated that he had to have already come down to earth. That was the, the incarnation, God the Son becoming a man, the life, ministry, death, resurrection, appearances, and ascension of the Lord Jesus. Now, since the one who came down to earth is the one who went up to heaven, it can be said that he has filled the entire universe. Okay? So the Lord Jesus, he, God the Son, became a man and visited planet Earth 
and provide salvation for us. And after he conquered the grave, he ascended to heaven. So Paul could say that he fills the entire universe. Now let me say this. Uh, some believe that this passage uh, teaches Christ's trip to Hades. They believe that in the Old Testament, the saints that went to Hades, that um, those who were trusting in Yahweh to provide salvation for them, they went to the comfort compartment of Hades, and those who were not trusting in the Lord for salvation went to the uh, compartment in Hades where there was torment, okay? Um, this was a very early view. In fact, that was one of the first things that was added to the Apostles' Creed, probably around 170, 180 A.D., that he descended into hell, by hell meaning Hades, not what we call hell, the eternal lake of fire, okay? Um, I think that this is confusing, this passage, we do find that Jesus went to the spirits in prison and proclaimed that he had conquered, okay? That's pro that was with the spirits who were disobedient during Noah's time. He proclaimed that the whole sons of God cohabiting with, with uh, female humans and producing a race of demonic giants, that that failed. And that Messiah has come and has conquered but I, I believe they misunderstand this passage. Very ancient, ancient view. It crept into like the Nicene Creed and later creeds. So many of our Protestant, Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters believe that. Okay? Um, but it makes no sense to me that God, Enoch walked with God, so God took him. Well, why would God take him, take him and then stick him in Hades? Um for a few thousand years. Why would Elijah go up to heaven when he really didn't get to heaven? He would have gone to Hades. He wouldn't have been in, uh, in God's presence. So uh, I think part of the problem is the New Testament Greek word Hades does not equal the Old Testament word Sheol. Sheol just means the grave. Sometimes Sheol, meaning the grave, is symbolic of those who die and go into torment. Sometimes Sheol uh, is symbolic of those who die and go to be in God's presence. In other words, I'm, what I'm saying is I think the Old Testament saints went immediately into God's presence based on what Jesus of Nazareth was going to do in the future. Okay? And uh, now if you disagree with me on that, it's not the end of the world. Good Christians disagree on this passage. But I think all it's saying that he went to the lower parts of the earth, that the earth is the lower parts of the universe. Okay? Uh, he left the throne room of the Father and came to the lower parts of the earth. And so he descended to earth, but he's also the one who ascended so that he fills uh, all things. But, uh, but whatever the case, um, uh, Paul is saying that Jesus, after dying and rising from the dead... Uh, and appearing over a period of 40 days, he ascends to heaven as a triumphant warrior with, with prisoners in his train, and then he dis divides the spoils among his people. So let's talk about the, the spoils, the, the, uh, that which is gained, the treasures gained in battle, where he's taking captivity. We were all sold to sin. He's taking captivity captive. Now he's made prisoners uh, slaves to sin have become slaves to righteousness. Okay? Um, uh, slaves to the kingdom of darkness have now become slaves to the kingdom of light. Okay? And, uh, and so look at verses, uh, verse 11. And he gave some. So here's some of the gifts that he gives. He gave some to be apostles. Some prophets. Some evangelists. Uh, and some pastors and teachers. And he says in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So uh, Christ gave as gifts to the church the offices of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. The way pastors and teachers read in the Greek 
We, we could hyphenate it in English, pastor teachers, it's one office. Now, having said that, there's the gift of teaching. You might have the gift of teaching and God might not even call you to be a pastor. Okay? But that's not what's being mentioned here. And uh, now the apostles and the prophets, let me talk about them first. Now an apostle is one sent forth with a message with the authority of the one who sent them. An apostle is one sent forth with a message with the authority of the one who sent them. Um, look at Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul says this. The book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle. There's that word. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul is saying he got his apostleship from Jesus, from God. He was commissioned directly by Jesus on the road to Damascus when he came to Christ, and Jesus appointed him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. See, why Paul is pointing that out is, some guys were being called, some of the colleagues of the apostles were being commissioned by the apostles, and they were being called apostles, but they didn't have the same level of full-blown apostleship that the original apostles themselves had. So though Timothy and Barnabas could be called apostles, you're not talking on the level of, uh, of Paul and the original apostles who were commissioned directly by Jesus. Look at what Peter said in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he's talking about Judas. That, you know, because remember, Jesus told the apostles, there's people who don't believe there's going to be an earthly reign on earth. Jesus told the apostles that the 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones over the 12 tribes of Israel when Jesus returns. Okay? Uh, well, we got a problem here because one of these guys has become a betrayer. Uh, one of these guys betrayed Jesus, and so he's going into torment. There's, uh, there's, he's not going to have part in God's kingdom. So, so Peter understood, Peter and the apostles understood, we've got to replace him. And for it is written in the book of Psalms, and then Peter quotes um, uh, from Psalms uh, 69, verse 25, and Psalm 109, verse 8, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, the main point that I think that we need to stress here is you have to be a witness of Jesus' resurrection. You can't, you're not qualified to be an apostle unless you are a witness of his resurrection. He has bodily appeared to you, okay, and which he did to Paul on the road to Damascus, okay, um, and uh, you've got to be appointed directly by Jesus. Now, for purposes of the 12 apostles to sit over the 12 tribes of Israel in the future, uh, Peter understood that we need to pick a guy who's been, uh, been with us throughout Jesus' entire three-and-a-half-year ministry. Now, Peter's talking about the apostles, the apostles to the Jews, not the apostle to the Gentiles. Jesus uh, commissioned Paul face-to-face -face on the road to Damascus. So, so basically, to, to be with Jesus from the beginning of, of the, John's baptism... Uh, till the day he was taken up and to be a witness of his resurrection, that means that this office of apostleship, one sent forth with a message commissioned directly by Christ, uh, that's not something that is going on today. Uh, the new apostolic reformation movement is heretical. You got guys out of Northern California and other places claiming to have full-blown apostolic authority and saying that the church in America is going to die if we don't submit to their infallible leadership, okay? By the way, these guys are involved in more scandals than, 
And you can imagine. Um, no. Uh, the apostles, the original apostles, the original 12 apostles and Paul, uh, that was for the foundation of the church. Even the prophets that are mentioned, those who, who spoke for God, those who proclaim God's truth supernaturally. I proclaim God's truth by explaining the Bible to others. So do you. But the supernatural gift to proclaim God's truth to the masses, okay, and for the entire church, uh, the New Testament prophets, before the New Testament was written, they helped build the foundation of the church. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at uh, verses 19 and 20. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. The Gentiles are no longer pagans, but fellow citizens with the saints, with the Jews, uh, who are trusted in Jesus for salvation, and members of the household of God. Now, the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so you see that the apostles and prophets, okay, uh, were foundational gifts to build the foundation of the church. And by the way, that gift is still given to the church, not that we have modern-day apostles, but we have the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament. Okay? So, um, and the, the prophetic utterances for the entire church, throughout the church age, that also is contained in the New Testament. Okay? Now, I don't deny that there, you know, there might be uh, prophetic utterance that God might give somebody through the gift of prophecy. But it's going to be for a, a local church or a, a, a short time period. Let's say God sent a, a prophet to proclaim that America is judged and, and America will be devastated by the year such and such. Okay? Well, how do you test that? Well, if it happens, you think, you know what? And you look at the guy, the fruit of the guy's or the gal's life, and you think, those are godly person and it did happen that probably was from God but as far as a prophetic utterance for the entire church throughout the entire church age that's the 66 books we find in our Bible today okay you hear anything else you test it with the scriptures okay and uh, the Roman Catholic Church their view of apostolic succession is false. The Pope is not one of the successors of the apostles. Okay? God doesn't care if you can trace your roots all the way back through the laying on of hands to the original apostles. He, know, he wants to know, are you still submitting to apostolic teaching? Okay? And... Um, but the Roman Catholic view of apostolic succession is false. The new apostolic reformation movement is heretical. Guys who think they're, they're apostles today. And, uh, and if anybody calls himself a prophet today, I'm going to test what they say with the scriptures. And even if, even if it doesn't violate a scriptural principle, I'm going to take a wait and see okay. attitude. There was a guy who seemed like a real nice Christian pastor who had the month of November circled and the month of December and all these other things that were going to come down, and most of those things did not come down. Okay? There's an awful lot of people, uh, uh, a lot of very famous celebrity preachers who weren't very grounded in the Word, I'll say that, uh, that had to make apologies because of their prophecies that Donald Trump uh, would uh, be reelected in 2000. And twenty, and um, so, um, but whatever the case, you know, somebody's claiming to be something, you know, tested with the word, and even there, it could be vague. Just pray about it, but build your life on the foundation of the tested, proven word of God. Okay, and uh, from this pulpit, you know, when I proclaim God's truth. If you think, hey, I think Pastor Phil is rightly interpreting that, 
you know, then, um, then you better submit to that. But if I'm interpreting a passage and you're not quite sure I'm getting it right, you study the scriptures, you pray, maybe you go for some good advice from others who've dedicated their lives to studying the Word, and uh, if you think the Word of God is saying something different on that particular point, you side with the Word, word of God. Well, you always side with the Word of God. Amen. Okay? So, um, um, there is no claim of papal infallibility coming from this pulpit, nor from any Bible-believing church. Okay? And, um, uh, but whatever the case, Christ gave, he, here he conquered, and then he, he, he conquered, and then he took from the world rebellious people like Saul of Tarsus and transformed them. Even the, the original apostles, he has taken them from the world of sin and death and transformed them. He gave the apostles as a gift to the church. Okay? Uh, he took prophets in New Testament times, gave them as gifts to the church. Why does he do this? He gives us these gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Now, the two other gifts are still functioning. He gave some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, evangelists, those who spread the good news, lead others to Christ. You don't have to be a Billy Graham um, to speak to football stadiums of people. Certainly that's evangelism. He's preaching the gospel. Always got to be follow-up. Remember, our goal, our ultimate goal is not to lead people to Christ. Okay? Our goal is not to lead people to Christ. That's the beginning. That's one of the first steps. We want to find common ground with others. We want to plant seed. We want to lead them to Christ. We want to encourage them to get baptized, get in a good, solid church, and we want to disciple them to spiritual maturity. So Jesus said, go make disciples. It's like Matthew 4.19. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fish. No. Come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay? Jesus said, you follow me, and I'll equip you for service in God's kingdom. Okay? And uh, this is, pray for me on this. This is one area where I, I have not done well. It's great to have um, brothers like the elders we have and brothers and sisters in the church who can take the initiative to come alongside because I'm not really good at delegation. Sometimes I delegate too quickly and six months later it comes right back to me. Other times I'm trying to do stuff that should be delegated, okay? Like with the early church, what did they do with the apostles? They found out that the Greek-speaking Jewish widows who came to Christ, they weren't getting their fair share of the food. It was going more to the Hebrew-speaking Jewish widows who came to Christ. So the apostles said, no, we have to devote our time to the Word of God and prayer. So they found seven spirit-filled men who happened to be Greek-speaking Jews who came to Christ and had them oversee, become the deacons and oversee. But pray for me on that area. In that area, it, it's something pastors are not to do the work of service for the church. Pastors are to equip the saints to do the service of the church. Okay? It's like the head, if my knee is itchy, even if I wanted to, I couldn't do this, but if my knee is itchy, I can't scratch my knee with my head. Okay? But the head can, I'm using figurative language, can delegate the authority to my arm, my hand, and my fingers to scratch my itchy knee. Okay? And um, we've got to work like a body. And Jesus calls us to be not fish, fishers of men. So it's not our goal to make followers. It's our goal to lead people to be followers of Christ who then become leaders 
who become fishers uh, of men. But evangelists, those who spread the good news, lead others to Christ, um, modern-day missionaries are like, you know, if Billy Graham were alive, he'd say amen to this. The evangelists we need to really look up to are modern-day uh, missionaries who leave the comforts of America to share the gospel with others, sometimes in places where Christianity is illegal, sometimes where they got to live in huts. Um, uh, those are the great evangelists today. And they not only lead people to Christ, they plant churches, and then they start discipling people. And... Um, uh, but certainly there's a need also for, for big evangelism. By the way, every one of us, not every one of us has the gift of evangelism. But every one of us is called to evangelize. Not every one of us has the gift of service, but every one of us is called to serve. It's just that when, you know, when I see um, Chuck serving or I see Pat serving, or I see John serving, or Willis serving, I'm, I'm scratching my head and saying, man, I can't serve like that. So usually when it's a work party and a lot of productive service is going on, guess who gets asked to go on the coffee runs? Okay? But I try with my limited ability to serve, but my gift is more, God made me a man of the book, you know? More, more teaching and discipling. And, uh, but God's called us all to evangelize, and all to serve. But some people have the gift of evangelism. Let me, let me tell you something, too. Some of the greatest evangelists in Kitsap County, people don't even know their name. They just talk to a guy at work. They speak the truth in love. And um, they plant seed. And they take the guy out for a cup of coffee at Family Pancake House on a Saturday morning. Explain the Bible to them. You know, by, by the way, even if, you're, even if you have that gift of evangelism and you're leading unsaved people to the Lord, remember the goal, get them into a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. If God calls you to and the person's open to it, not only evangelize them, but disciple them as well. But those who spread the good news, so, so you've got these evangelists leading people to Christ, well, what are you going to do with them? Now you turn them over to the pastor teachers. By the way, I know Stan would agree with me on this. We got some churches in this county uh, and throughout America and throughout the world probably that are, are great evangelism centers and they lead the multitudes to Christ. But some of these churches, not all, some of these churches should hand off those people to true churches with true pastor teachers who are going to equip the saints for service. In other words, the American church is so big on making new spiritual babies that assuming that there really are true babies who really are born again, most American Christians never grow up, never spiritually mature. Why do you think you need Shepherd's Bible College? Okay? Um, and it's not just the pastors who need to be grounded in the Word. It's all Christians need to be grounded in the Word. And, um, and so the pastor teachers, so the evangelists lead, you know, the apostles and the prophets, they, they founded the church through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. They gave us the New Testament, which completes and explains the Old Testament. They gave us the Scriptures and, uh, and now we have evangelists leading people to Christ and then pastor teachers um, who shepherd the flock. You know, this is so important to Stan Mansfield that when he started Shepherd's Bible College, he called it Shepherd's Bible College, a place to train shepherds. The pastor teacher is usually the, the leading elder in the local church. There's often assistant pastors as well uh, who shepherds the flock and instructs them in biblical doctrine. So there's a teaching side of being a pastor, but there's also that shepherd side where you've got to protect your people from heresy, from false teachings, 
But you also got to try to protect and provide for your teacher. You know, when people come to you with needs, if I can't help them, I got to try to find somebody in the body who can. If we can't find anybody in the body who can help them, we got to go outside the body, see, can we get this person assistance? Can we really weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice? So pastor, the word for pastor really just means shepherd. Shepherd teachers, shepherding the, the local church, the flock, and instructing them in Bible doctrine. Look at Titus 1, verse 9. Paul's... Letter to Titus, chapter 1, verse 9. Paul's talking about the bishop, basically the overseer, the, the lead pastor, if you will. He talks about what a bishop must have, the characteristics they must have, and he says this, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort or to encourage, to build up, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So the pastor teacher, it, I'm not just supposed to, our pastoral staff is not just supposed to exhort you and encourage you in sound biblical teaching, but we're also supposed to refute those who contradict the word of God. By the way, that's not going to get you popular. Nowadays, everybody wants to be nice and tolerate everybody. You keep it with that kind of idea. Where does that lead? It leads to the point where you tolerate everybody except people of the truth. You tolerate, tolerate everybody except Bible-believing Christians. And um, so, uh, but these gifts, evangelists and pastor teachers, how many of us ever thanked the person who led us to Christ. It might have been a person, it might have been a group of people, you know? And, um, and a person who led me to Christ was an ex-convict who ended up going back to prison. You know, but I still bumped into him, getting up in years, and, you know, I saw him, he's out now, and I thanked him. Okay? Where would we be without the people that God used to lead us to Christ. It was the power of God, but God uses people. Um, where will we be about the pastor teachers who have trained us over the years and hopefully set the example for us? Okay? And, um, but, it's like, just, just, just picture a room filled with really mean, nasty people and Jesus goes into that room and he just puts a whooping on everybody and he yanks out spoils from his victory and then gives them to the church and he transforms them. So all of a sudden Saul of Tarsus, you don't have to worry about him killing Christians. Now he's leading people to Christ and he's discipling and teaching them. Now why were these gifts given to the church? The New Testament apostles and prophets, the evangelists and pastor teachers. Why are these gifts given? Verse 12 in Ephesians 4. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so it's basically to prepare and equip believers, the saints, the set-apart ones. We're set apart for God's holy purposes. We're set apart for the mission that God has given us. And so these gifts are given to equip us for the work of ministry, the service that God has called us to, to prepare all believers for the task of serving. And by the way, when we do the job God has called us to do for God's glory and through God's power, it edifies uh, the body uh, of Christ. It builds the body of Christ. Okay? And, um, and so... Um, again, it's not my job, it's not John's job, Pat's job, Willis's job, other leaders in the church, it's not our job 
to do your service for you. It's our job to equip you for the service that God has called you to. Now, by the way, your service might look totally different than mine. And that's a good thing. If everybody had the gift of teaching and the gift of being a pastor teacher, I'd be preaching to nobody right now. We'd all have churches of one. Okay? And, um, but uh, and never force people to have your gifts. If we're going to be a united body, it's going to be a united body with diversification. It's going to be a united body with different members with different gifts. So the gifts were given to prepare all believers for the task of serving uh, to build uh, the body of Christ. So whatever mission God has given you, don't listen to the world. I mean, right now we got, we got the world telling people, groups of people, you cannot take care of yourself. Just depend on the government and we'll take care of every little bit of your life. Look, you want to depend on somebody? You depend on the triune God. Okay? Um, but then you allow God to work within you to be all that God uh, called you to be. And, uh, and so what is the goal here? Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. That means a, a complete, a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now remember, Paul could say of Christ in Colossians 2.9, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is fully God. So uh, when, when Paul says that he wants us to grow to the fullness of Christ, that doesn't mean we're going to become God. But it means he wants us to be more and more like Christ. Guess what? This job, this work that God is doing on us, and yes, he used the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers, and he's continuing to use the last two. But this job in you and this job in me is not going to be done until Jesus comes back and takes his stand upon the earth and we see him face to face. And then we will, you know, right now, you know, we have fall, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. When Jesus transforms us in the twinkling of an eye and our mortal bodies put on immortality, then we shall fully glorify God to the extent that God created us to glorify him. Okay? Um, and so the goal is that we reach this unity of faith, all believers expressing the unity in God's truth, and the unity of the knowledge of Christ, the common understanding of Christ. We, you know, uh, let, me, let me tell you, I, I don't know why you would have to tell anybody, because God wrote us 66 books. He didn't give us a business card or a tract. He gave us 66 books, okay? And we have to read it over and over again. I, I could preach on the same passage 10 times, and the 10th time, each time there'll be more truth that I, that I understand from it. And I'll never fully have the passage, that one passage understood, uh, let alone the entire Bible. And... Um, but let me tell you, it, it, it amazes me that I have to say this to Christians, but in the American church, God does not want us spiritually stupid. Paul has to say over and over again, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about the spiritual gifts or about whatever it is. God, God doesn't bless ignorance. Okay? This isn't an issue of IQ. It isn't even an issue of uh, whether God's called you to teach or not. God wants us to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Okay? So you can have a guy who's a prayer warrior and a servant. Nobody even knows his name. That guy should be grounded in God's Word, just like a preacher should be grounded in God's Word. Okay? And the preacher is to help you get grounded in God's Word, just as the preacher's preachers have helped ground that, that preacher in God's word. But we're all called to grow in the unity of the knowledge of Christ until the church is a mature man, fully Christ-like. And so for the church to mature, 
we must first mature doctrinally. Let me repeat that. Uh, for the church to mature, we must mature doctrinally. Okay? And I'm just going to close with this. I'm going to just read the next verse. We'll spend more time on it. But in verse 14, that we should no longer be children. When you were a new creation in Christ, you were a babe in Christ. God never intended, if you've been saved for 40 years and you're still a babe in Christ, that's not what God intended for you. Okay? Imagine if we treated our kids like babies and you got a 40-year-old kid and you're still spoon-feeding them. Okay? Um, no. Um, that we should no, should no longer be children. And how does he describe spiritual children? Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Some new teaching, you, you turn on television, the Christian station, some guys out there preaching some bogus new teaching and how many people in the American Evangelical Church are suckers for that? They, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Do you realize on TBN at one time they had a supposed prophecy that they were proclaiming that since we're the bride of Christ and we get to heaven, we're going to be making babies through Jesus? That's the kind of garbage. That's trash. That's garbage. Do you know how many people fell for that? I'm glad if we turn on TBN, I don't think anybody says that anymore. But for a year, they went to town on that. Oh, well, that's all. You know, that's that's uh, oh, that's so cool. No, that's not cool. That's not biblical at all. Okay. Um, how many of us have fallen for scams? Just in the in everyday life, I think we've all been there at one time or another. When you get saved, you got to get grounded in God's word so you don't fall for spiritual. Uh, Scams, and so the purpose of God, of Christ giving these gifts to the church, so we no longer be children. So God wants us to grow up. We got to grow up. No longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Let me say this. And he says that we got to speak the truth in love. Let me say this. It's not just crook politicians. One, one politician was blaming Donald Trump that um, her grandmother lives in a beat-up house. This lady drives a car that's probably worth half of what my house is worth. Okay? This lady lives in a house. You know that, what, I don't know, ten times what my house goes for. And she can't help her grandma? It's Donald Trump's fault? Okay? Um, but we got politicians like that, that how can you be such a hypocrite? You're a millionaire, and you can't take care of your, gram take care of your grandma? We also got preachers in the church telling people promise if you donate X amount of dollars to my ministry God will bless it a hundredfold and this and that and people get poor by donating to these charlatans and then you find out the guy's got three fifteen million dollar mansions and drives around in his own private jet okay um, don't don't be deceived so we, we have to grow up and know the truth. The more you know of the truth, the less vulnerable you will be to lies. And believe me, there's not only lies in the world, there's lies in the church. And why? Because this passage hasn't been applied. Okay? But what Paul is saying is, look, we need to be united in Christ. If we're united in Christ, and, and then we grow in the Lord to maturity... then God, and you use our gifts and we stay united, 
then God can use us in powerful ways to impact our communities. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Be all that God called you to be. Don't listen to the world. The world's going to talk down on you and say that you don't bring anything to the table. And you tell them, yeah, apart from Jesus, I could do nothing. But Jesus found me. And Jesus saved me. And since I bring Jesus to the table, I can move mountains. So long as God wants those mountains to be moved, I can move mountains. You know, John tells us, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Just let God be God. Allow God to work through you. Allow God to train you for the ministry that he's given you. You can reach people and minister to people that I can't get through to. Okay? So we all got to be what God's called us to be. Let's close with a word of prayer.